we're closing up a nine-part series today uh, through the book of 1 Peter called the Resilient Series. And it's this idea of how do we become Christians that rebound and bounce back from difficult circumstances? Now, obviously, the Lord thought it would be funny if, he, if I just lived it out. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, so here's what I've decided. I decided next year is called Abundant Wealth and Happiness. So, so good. I just got to live it out. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, Lord, if I have to be a billionaire. <laughs> but man, you know, it's, it, are we going to preach and live it? Like, does this stuff really matter? The fact that I'm here, the fact that I'm in the pulpit, that my, my worship of the Lord is not diminished in any way, that my love of the Lord is not diminished in any way. The fact is, is that when we come up here and we preach to you, we believe this stuff, we live this stuff, this stuff is legit. God is real. Amen? Amen. Come on. So we want to be these bounce back Christians, these ones that are go, yeah, 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 difficult times are coming, more are coming. But you know what? That's all right, because my God knows how to deal with difficult seasons. And we can be able to be resilient Christians and, and bounce back. So I want, to, I want to talk a little bit about kind of some different pieces in my life and tell you some different stories and things. And understand when I do that, it's not because I want to talk about me. I am so bored of me. Holy cow, I can't get away from me. <clears throat> It's because I believe that if you hear some tangible examples, you can kind of sift and sort easier and quicker and say, well, I think this is a good idea. This is not so good, right? So I'm going to share a little bit about me. I hope that's okay. But I want to begin with a question and a concept before we get into that, and that is this. Where does swag come from? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like that confidence, right? You, you see it in sports. Like some people come, these teams, they'll come up. Like, I don't know, for, for like ever, the Golden State Warriors were horrible. And then all of a sudden, they became like super good. And, and you had like Steph Curry and, and Clay Thompson. And, and you had, you know, Kevin Durant for a while. And, and you had these guys come on the court. And they look like, man, if you block me here, I'll beat you here. If you block me here, I'll beat you here. We have all kinds of examples in sports of people just walking with confidence, right? And you can tell, you know, it's all the greatest, whether it's Michael Jordan or it's, or it's Tom Brady or whatever. Well, sure enough, there are just certain people that walk with a, with a, a mega confidence. And you see it sometimes in the business world, right? You see somebody come into a meeting and they seem to be like, I'm getting the sale. Like, I don't know what you're about to say back to me. I will convince you of anything, right? They just sit down confident like, I'm taking your money. We get it, right? We should just agree on that right now. I'm going to take your money. There are people that walk around with some swag. They just walk around with, with this confidence and this, this boldness. So, so where does that kind of stuff come from? You know, I believe that the two most common places this comes from are ignorance and security. <laughs> ignorance and security. You know what I'm talking about? Here's what I mean by ignorance. They don't know what they don't know, and they're living off inflated optimism. It's only a matter of time before they realize they are not all that, and they come crashing down to earth, right? I mean, you've known people like that, yeah? Where you're looking and you're going, dude, I don't know what you're so confident about, but at some point you're going to realize what I know, and this is going to be a really embarrassing day for you, right? Uh, that, that's true. But then there's some people that literally just have it. They just have it, and it's, it's not inflated, it's legit, Right? That's what, but they get it from a security. Here's what I mean. They know something you don't know. They are certain that whatever happens, they're going to come out on top. 
They have all these default movements that they can go to in order to rebound back to being great. Like I said, you hit me here, I can move here. You have this problem, I can jockey for position. They always know how to get back to being great. They're secure in what they have and who they are. They're secure in what they can do. You know, we saw some of this uh, in, in the recent Olympics, right? Real quick show of hands, how many watched the Tokyo Olympics? Anybody watch the Tokyo Olympics? Oh, this is way more than any other service, all right? So in every service, it was three or four, okay? So I'm not sure what that says about the Olympics, but that there's not a lot that my wife and I agree on when it comes to TV, right? She likes things that are like positive, you know? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> The one, the one thing that, that we do agree on is that women's gymnastics is real, right? Like, you know, women's, if I'm going to watch anything in the Olympics, I'm going to watch women's gymnastics, all these flippy floppy things are like amazing, right? And there's, there's a particular gymnast who's the best in the world in her craft. Her name is Simone Biles. Anybody remember Simone Biles? She is the perfect example of sweet swag. Right? Like she's not cocky. She's not arrogant. She has this little tiny body. She's like, bloop, jumps up on the mat. And she's like, I own all of you. <laughs> and she just does what she does. I mean, she just, she does things. She has seven tricks just named after her that nobody else has ever done. She does stuff. She's so far ahead of the competition. It doesn't even matter. You just assume, okay, she's got gold. Everybody else has to fight for everything else. But then something changed this last Olympics. You guys follow this in the news? She all of a sudden goes up to do her first vault. She falls. And you're like, whoa, 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 something's not right here. And you could tell her demeanor was different. And you could tell how she walked and how she operated. Something was off. Sure enough, she ended up pulling out of competitions and she ended up scoring lower. And she ultimately said, you know what? This, the whole pressure of being the greatest in the world really got to me. It was just too much. And I just snapped under the pressure. Now, I don't know if that was through anxiety or whatever it is, but she realized I can't pull off what I normally pull off. Now, you have to understand, when they do those, stuff on, those things on TV, it sure looks easy. But you do realize they can hurt themselves, right? Like they're doing things that are extremely dangerous. And so she said, I am not in the right headspace to be able to do this. I'm going to hurt myself. I'm out. And she pulled out. Okay, so here's the question. Physically, what was the difference between her a month before the Olympics and in the Olympics? Nothing. Everything was up here. It was mindset and perspective that changed. She was physically the same. There are just some people that have something in their mind. Their perspective is different. The way they handle life is different. Give me another example. Aaron Ralston. Anybody know who Aaron Ralston is? He's a famous hiker. He became very famous in the movie 127 Hours. Anybody remember that? James Franco played the character. And, and what it said was there's a, this avid hiker and climber, and he was climbing in Utah by himself, and he ended up getting his arm pinned by a boulder. He was never going to move the boulder. He tried for a long time, and he realized, I'm going to die here. So he used the knowledge that he had on torsion, cracked his own bones, and amputated his own arm, and then walked seven miles back to safety. Okay, let me explain. There's a huge difference between that dude and me. Okay. <clears throat> the other day, I went for a walk. I was about 30 feet from our house. I tripped over a curb. I lay there for three hours. <clears throat> I, for the first 13 minutes, I screamed, why me, Lord? And then, 
And then, and then I just started realizing there's no point in carrying on. I started eating grass. I, and <laughs> it's a horrible situation. Thankfully, I was rescued. But <clears throat> okay, I don't care if I know how to break my own arm. I'm not cutting off my arm. I just go, well, Lord, it's time. I'm going to die here. That's it. That's it, right? So big difference in mindset between that guy and, and somebody like me, right? Mindset, perspective. We talk about Christianity. We talk about this idea of faith. Is faith not mindset and perspective? As a matter of fact, it is. There are times that we believe that God is who he says he is, and different things happen. There's times that we don't. How do we know this? Because for one moment, Peter walked on water. That is literally impossible to do. And the next moment he sank, what was the difference? Mindset, perspective. He was the same guy. Jesus is the same Jesus. But one moment he had his eyes on Jesus, and the other moment he had his eyes on his circumstances and had drastically different results. Mindset, perspective. So I believe, personally, that every Christian should have the mindset and perspective of confident humility. As a matter of fact, I, I wrote down my own personal core values. Have you ever done this before? I encourage you. I've done this. I encouraged you in a message a while back. I encourage you, write down what you would consider maybe the five to seven core values of your life. And the reason why this is so helpful is it shows you kind of why you get super irritated at certain things because they violate your core value, right? Or maybe what drives you and what motivates you. Wow, that's in my core value. All right, cool. So I wrote them down, and one of my core values is confident humility, and this is, this is not the power of positive thinking. There's none of that garbage. This is, I believe, the most realistic way that Christians should live. I believe that it is the most practical, the most biblical, the most honest. And here's why. Is that, that we've got to know who we are, who God made us to be. We got to know who he is. And when we know those things, it changes how we operate. Now, most of you that know me pretty well, I operate in kind of a very confident way. Would you agree with that? Like, I kind of stand up and I do what I do and I, what do I have to be confident about? Come on, really? Like, what, am I, am I the most intelligent? No, I'm not. I'm not the most intelligent in this room at all. What, am I the best preacher of all time? No, I'm not. There are tons that are better than me. Am I, am I the best looking? Yeah, but that's not. <laughs> that's not. Yeah, amen. Amen, says another person more attractive than me. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, that, I know that's not true. I get it. I get it. I can't hide that. But anyway, here's the, here's the point. What do I have to be confident about? I know my God. You see, my Bible says that I'm a jar of clay. I shouldn't be so impressed with a jar of clay, but I'm really impressed with what's in it. You know what I'm, so, you know what I'm saying? See, <clears throat> I believe very strongly that if you truly know God, humbleness is just normal. Why? You're not him. So what are you impressed about, right? Like this whole idea that we would be cocky or would be arrogant, that's absurd, you're not God, you're never gonna be God. You're always going to be less than. Currently, without our glorified bodies, we're not even as cool as angels. So why are we thinking we're all that? We're not. 
So, but, but here's the thing. Humility does not mean that we're thinking less of ourselves. I am very impressed with what God made in me. I love what God made in me. But here's the thing. It's not about me. It doesn't matter. You keep your eyes on other people. You keep your eyes on the Lord. You're not thinking about yourself as much. You're not demeaning yourself. But once you take a look at who God is, wow, it puts you in your, it puts you in your place. It puts you in the right perspective. Confident humility. You know, I gotta fill in the blank on that sheet in front of you because the trick is learning humility first. Take a look at this. Here's the fill in the blank in, the, in front of you. Humility leads to confidence. Humility leads to confidence, and I wanna tell you why. Now, this is the part that I was gonna share about my personal life. So I'm talking about me personally, Lance, right? I'm less afraid of failure than the average person, and here's why. Because I know it doesn't define me. God defines me. I'm less concerned with my weaknesses. Why? Because either God's gonna do it or it's not gonna be great anyway. If God really wanted me to do it, he'd give me something more to do it with. I'm less worried about the future. Why? Because God has shown me he knows how to run my life better than I do, and he knows what's next. I'm less rocked by what people think of me. Why? Because only God knows who I am, and other people don't have enough information to go off of to make a determination. Right? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm so freaked out by what people think, but it could be way worse. <laughs> right? I, I'm confident in this pulpit. I walk up, I'm very bold in what I do. Why is that? Because I'm using my gifts like they were designed, and I'm sharing God's wisdom, not my own, and I'm led by the Holy Spirit. What, you think this is about a guy? Who cares? I could preach my guts out and it wouldn't matter. Either Jesus does it or it doesn't happen. So what in the world would I be arrogant about? Who cares? Anybody can fill this pulpit because either it's the Holy Spirit or it's not, right? And I'm bold in my spiritual authority. And what do I mean by that? I mean, I walk into demonic environments with confidence, why? Because I know who I serve. I know that my Lord Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. I know that God is the Almighty. I know that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. I know there was a time when there was nothing and just God. That means he owns everybody. So what am I afraid of? You understand what I'm saying? So why humble? Because it's not about me. Never was, never will be. When God's agenda, plans, and purposes define my life, who cares what I think? Who cares what I bring to the table? Who cares what I can do? It doesn't matter. Only God's stuff matters, right? I believe that's how we ought to operate. Confident humility. I want you to walk with the confidence that you are a child of God. And then remember, you're a child of God. He's the one that deserves all the glory. Amen? Okay. So we get into this. We're finishing up this passage. We're going through the last 14 verses. And here's kind of Peter's perspective. Guys, I've been talking to you about hard times. I've been talking to you about struggles. I've been talking to you about challenges. I've been talking to you about all kinds of persecution on every front. And you know what? When we're under pressure, we don't always operate real well. As a matter of fact, we're kind of mean to each other. So here's what I want to do. I want to write out a book to you or a letter to you, and I want to tell you that while we're under pressure... Please be kind to each other. Man, it is so tempting when things are bad to lash out at each other. Isn't that kind of what's embarrassing about how we handle the pandemic? I mean, they, in this church, come on, like we said stuff, we probably shouldn't have said, we posted stuff, probably shouldn't have posted. 
I mean, we went into this. Shouldn't we have galvanized and pulled together? Shouldn't this be the one place that we can go, listen, dude, outside of these walls, I probably disagree with you on like 13 different things. Politically, we are polar opposites. And you know what? Everything you believe about mass and vaccine, I don't believe about mass and vaccine. But you know what? We're in the house of God. Forget all that business. We are here to lift up the name of Jesus. Do you love Jesus? I love Jesus. Let's go. Man, but you know, it's so tempting when things get hard and things get challenging and things get vicious. All of a sudden we start biting each other and it's like, whoa, 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 hold up. This is family, you guys. It's so tempting when things get so hard to not rebel against leadership. I'm out of here. You know, I can't believe you guys made that determination. And why'd you make that call? That was stupid. And you could have seen this one coming. And right? It's so easy to do that. It's so easy to armchair quarterback, right? so tempting. And you know what? It's really tempting on leadership's behalf to not resent the flock. Dude, if you guys would just do what I told you to do, if you just listen to what I was trying to say, if you would just do everything I wanted, blah, 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 it'd be so much easier. You guys, we can't do that. It's so tempting when things get hard to get selfish, to get prideful. And it's so easy to forget that Satan is causing all the problems in the first place. And we keep thinking each other are the problem. Come on. So what Peter writes out is he said, this is what we need to do, you guys. We need to keep our head in the game. We gotta keep focused. We gotta be gentle with each other. And remember, it is never the water on the outside that sinks a ship, it's the water on the inside. You understand what I'm talking about? Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. If you were reading out of the ESV, it's page 1016, 1016. If you have a different type of Bible, just go ahead and open to the middle, go to the right, it's eventually going to go first and second Peter, first and second, third John, Jude, Revelation. And that's the end. So back up a little bit there. First Peter chapter five, verse one. <clears throat> We're just going to kind of walk through this like a family. Here we go. Peter says this. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Okay, let's pause right there. What's an elder? Well, you gotta remember, early Christianity came out of Judaism. The idea of having an older, wiser kind of guidance, that was the idea of an elder. Well, that became kind of the church leadership moniker. They always had titles uh, early on that were very humble. What's our job to do? Our job is to serve. How do we know that? Because Jesus, the King of Kings, came down here and washed the disciples' feet. That is our example. The whole fancy titles for people in church and the, all the highfalutin stuff, that didn't come till later. That was a couple generations after them. But they always kept these humble titles, the idea of just being an elder, he said, all right, guys, I'm going to connect in with you. You're a leader. I'm a leader. Let's talk about it. Man, we've been having some hard times. And in that hard time, it's very easy to go, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. You default and start making it just a paycheck. You default and start checking boxes because you're like, you know what? No one's listening to me. Everything's hard. I feel like I'm under attack all the time. Forget it. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. The minute you become check boxes guy or check boxes lady, you need to get out of ministry. What in the world are you doing? See, the, the, the people that God has given you, they need your heart. 
They need your head in the game. They need you to love on them. The idea that you would default to a paycheck means your motivation's wrong. No, 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 guys, we gotta keep our mindset about us. We gotta realize you are caring for God's people. They don't own them. You don't get to treat them however you want. You will be held accountable by God who is watching every single thing that you do. You don't get to treat them just because you're in a bad mood, you treat them bad, and if you're in a good mood, you treat them good. No, no, no. You're supposed to be Jesus to these people at all times. So leadership, step it up. Notice that whenever he makes corrections, he'll start with leadership. Why? There is a higher accountability. Why? Because with the office, there comes a higher grace and a higher anointing and gifting. So once again, you get more stuff, with great power comes great responsibility, right? It's this, it's this idea that the Lord's going to go, hold on, I'm not allowing my leadership to do whatever they want. Let's talk about you guys first. I need you to make sure you're doing it for all the right reasons. Attitude and motivation matter, Right? Then he said this, I want you to lead by example. Now, this is a little harder in today's world, right? Back then, it was, man, we all lived in the same village. There was maybe like 30 of us, and we did everything together. That's kind of how Christianity has always been designed under the apprentice principle, which means you live it out. You're supposed to be able to hear my words and then see what they would be like on an everyday basis. Well, I don't, I don't see you guys every day. We have a little bit of a different dynamic in today's world. But here's the thing he was trying to say. Guys, if your lifestyle is not backing up your words, who cares what you're saying? That doesn't matter. You gotta live it. That's how you change people's lives, right? And then he said this. Remember, God sees. One of the biggest problems with leadership is that you wanna quit because you never get the credit you think you deserve, right? Let's, you know... There's so much stuff that you do behind the scenes that nobody's gonna see. They're not gonna give you credit for that. They're only gonna give you credit for whatever you did in front of them, right? And so you're like, oh, they don't see this and they don't see this and they don't appreciate me enough and then we start getting bitter and angry. Boy, that takes so many people out of ministry. People don't see me, they don't, they don't appreciate me. Hold up, who are you doing it for? Man, you're doing it for the Lord Jesus. He didn't miss a beat. He knows exactly what you're talking about. He knows exactly what you're doing. And here's the encouraging part to all of you that are in leadership. He sees the stuff behind the scenes and he's gonna make sure you're gonna get rewarded. He, he didn't miss it. He knows what it's like, right? All right, let's pick it up in verse five. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. That means submit to the elders. And clothe yourselves, all of you Christians, with humility towards one another. For as Proverbs 3.34 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you and cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Let's pause right there. Who are the younger? It's almost like he's doing a play on words. He talked about the elders, which are leadership. Who are the younger? Well, I would suggest to you they're the next level of leadership. Because here's why he's addressing them. When things go bad in a church, the next level of leadership always second guesses the first level. Dude, if I was in charge, that never would have happened. I would have never made that stupid call. Like what? Like you guys really made that call? You went public with that. You made that decision. I would have never done that. If I was in charge, I would have let it, right? You know what the problem is with that? This is Peter's response. Yeah, but you're not. And you know why you're not? Because God said you're not. So this whole business about I woulda, I woulda, I woulda, yeah, but you didn't. So I need you to back off, sit down, and line up. 
Because here's the deal. I will need you. You're the younger leaders coming up. I will need you, Peter said. I will need you, Jesus says. But when I need you, I need you in the right headspace. I need you in the right heart space. And I can't use you if you're still fighting the leadership above you. What are you doing? See, the problem is you got a big calling. You got a lot of gifts, but your character's got to catch up with that calling. And right now, your character's out of line. Knock it off, line in. That's how we do this. And then he said, now for everybody, I need you to clothe yourselves with humility. That means we got to walk into this place as a church and go, who can I bless? And we're not thinking about ourselves, we're thinking about everybody else. You guys got gifts, you got talent. Some of you are encouragers. Man, I love you. Everybody loves you. You're an encourager, right? You want, I need you to use that gift of encouragement, even if you don't know the people. You walk up and say, man, your hair looks awesome, right? Whatever it is. You say something nice to somebody or, wow, I'm so glad to see you here today. Use your gifts to bless everybody else because the problem is we get defaulted into our lives. We walk into church and we're like, man, I sure hope they play that song. It's the only one I like. <laughs> Hold up. Wait a second. Everybody on that stage today is a volunteer, they did everything behind the scenes. They practice and practice and practice to give you an environment to worship. None of those people are getting paid. They're all up here trying to sacrifice to make sure your day is awesome. Shouldn't it be one of those scenarios where you go, how do I encourage them? Like, man, how do I love on them? How am I walking around these hallways making other day, people's day brighter? That's humility. Are you thinking about everybody else's issues or your issues? Because I'll tell you, we're all hurting. And it would really be neat if we had a smiling face at church to love on us. Here's the, here's the other thing, and this is pretty powerful. He quotes Proverbs 3.34. He said, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is really serious. I need you to hear me on this one. If you are proud, God is actively not for you. I just need you to let that sink in. Like whatever problem you got in life, here's what you don't want. God against you. Why would he be against you? You're like, but I'm his kid. Yeah, but hold on. When you're proud, you go on your own agenda, which is a competing agenda to his, which would become destructive. So he has to shut that down. He's literally your problem. But on the converse... If you are humble and in alignment with his will, there is a supernatural Holy Spirit wind in your sails that helps you have power to live. I mean, this is the thing that the way, you know how the Bible says, do it in the power of God, not your own strength. You know what that means? It means you can either go out there and do your best and it kind of work, or you can go out there and do it your best with the Lord Jesus and it has a tenfold power to it. You understand what I'm saying? There is waiting encouragement and strength that the Holy Spirit is going, come on, kids, we can do this. We can do this. We can do this. You need that cheerleader. The way to do that is to get into that humble mindset where God matters more than you. When you're in there, things go right. And then he said this, and I want you to cast all your anxieties over on the Lord. Because, man, when things are hard, it's so easy to be worrisome, right? As a guy who's dealt with anxiety in my past so much, I'm a stickler for terms. I don't like this term. Don't put anxiety in here. Put in worry. We're talking about worry. Take your worries, put them on God. Here's why. It's most practical. 
think right now what you're worried about. And I'm gonna give you a definition on what I think worry means. You can tell me if it fits, all right? Got something in mind? All right, here's what worry normally means. I'm freaking out because something's going wrong and I can't fix it. Is that correct? Is that what we're talking about? That's what worry is, yeah? Now here's why when God is in the mix, worry needs to be handed over. Here's why. You say, God, something's going wrong. And he stops and goes, how do you know? (laughs) Well, because I don't like it. Okay, that's different than wrong. You said you don't like it. Yeah, well, it's bad. Okay, I agree with you. It's bad. Why is that wrong? Because it's bad. Yeah, but that's not wrong. You keep saying something's going wrong. Are you sure it's going wrong? How would you know if it was going wrong? Do you have the map? You don't think you have the map. You keep telling me you're going the wrong way. Something's going the wrong way. How do you know what the right way is? Stop telling me what is right and wrong. I know what I'm doing, right? And you're like, and he goes, hold hold on, kiddo. Let me give you an example, right? Like, let's say, for example, you're calling out to me because you're hanging on a log. You're floating down the river. You're about to go over a waterfall, right? I mean, you know you're doomed that there's gonna be sharp rocks at the bottom and you're, you're gone, right? So you're hanging on. You're like, God, I'm freaking out here. Something's wrong and I need your help. Okay, here's the deal. You keep telling me something's wrong. What if I wanted you to go over a waterfall? You're like, God, that would be terrible. Why would you put me over a waterfall? Because kiddo, I don't know if you knew this, but you can fly. I'm sorry, what? You can fly. You think those wings are decorative? I cannot fly. That's why I'm hanging onto a log. Uh, no, actually, I've been trying to get you to fly the entire time, and every time you resist me, I've been trying to shove you off buildings and all sorts of stuff. So here's what I'm doing. I have you going over a waterfall, and now guess what today is? Bye-bye. Ah! Then you fly. He's like, you keep telling me that's wrong. Why is that wrong? What if my whole point was for you to go over a waterfall? What if the whole point was I was trying to get you to fly? What if the whole point was I had something that you're not tracking on? You keep telling me it's wrong. Are you sure it's wrong? How do you know? And here's the other thing. You keep saying you can't fix it. When could you ever fix it? You've never had the ability to fix it. I have those resources. I'm the God. You're not. So of course you can't fix it. That's why you bring it to me. I know how to fix stuff. I'm really good at this. And I got power to spare. You see, when we have worry, it demonstrates we're not looking at the situation right. Because if we truly knew who God was and that he cares for us, we could hand it over and say, God, I don't understand. I'm confused. I'm scared. And I'm hurting right now. All that is true. God, I need you to take this one because it's freaking me out. That's how it goes. Let's pick it up in verse eight. So be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Wow, powerful. Be sober-minded. Guys, keep your heads clear. What are you talking about? 
Why is my head not clear? I don't know. You got so many distractions and so much garbage flowing in your head. You're not thinking about my word. You're not thinking about what I told you. You're not thinking about what's right. You're not thinking about what's noble. You're not thinking about what's good. You got all this junk in your head and it's messing with your perspective. Keep your head clear. And I want you to keep alert. There's a bad guy out there. What? There's a bad, I knew I should be paranoid. Okay, hold on, knock it off. When I tell you to be alert, our job is not to be paranoid. Our job is not to find the secret mysterious Bible code. Our job is not to overanalyze scripture and make it say something it doesn't. Our job is not to read the newspapers and over-spiritualize everything in our fear. Our job is to be alert to God's voice and the traps of the enemy. That's it. Here's how it's supposed to go. Hey, I'm walking along through life. Look at me. I'm walking with Jesus. I'm hearing the Holy Spirit's like, dude, there's a hole there. And I go, well, thank you, Holy Spirit. And I go around the hole. That's how life's supposed to go. Now, this is how it normally goes. I have my face in my phone because I can't let go of my phone or I'll die. <clears throat> and I'm staring at my phone. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my God. And I fall down a hole. That's how it tends to go. God, why'd you let me fall in a hole? Because you wouldn't let me get a word in edgewise. I've been trying to tell you about the stupid hole for like three days now. And you're like, look what's happening to the world. Okay, cool. I got the world. How about you not fall in the hole? We're supposed to be alert, listening to his voice. He's like, yes, there is a real enemy. And yeah, he's a bad guy. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that he wants to swallow you whole. That's what devour means. Why? Because he wants you gone. Your problem. Why? Because you smell like Jesus. And he hates Jesus smelling stuff. You're a child of God. You smell like Jesus. He wants you out of here. He does not want you on this planet. You cause more problems for him. So he wants to eliminate you. So he is prowling around, setting traps, and trying to do everything he can to eliminate you. Right? So let me ask you a question. Why is he roaring? right? Lions are dangerous, but why are lions roaring? Now, there's a, a bunch of different pastors that have taught about this and everything. They're probably smarter than I am, but here's the point. What I've always seen about roaring is it seems kind of like a bravado thing. I feel like lions roar because they're like, I'm a lion, <laughs> right? Like, you're not a lion. And when I roar, everyone's like, oh, dang, there's a lion, and I think it's a bit of a bravado thing, but here's what's intriguing about this, and this is something I need you to memorize, until you understand that Satan is a bully, you will not understand spiritual warfare. How do bullies operate? I'll tell you very clearly. Bullies operate because they can't do otherwise. And here's what I mean. You know a bully is operating when their mouth is moving. Because if they could really do what they're threatening, they would have done it already. I just want to be practical about this. If you have to come up to me and go, dude, I'll kill you. If you have to talk about it, you don't have the power to do it. Just do it then. Why are you talking to me about it? Why are you roaring? This seems ridiculous. If you wanted to devour me, why wouldn't you just eat me? Because you can't. You got to get me convinced that you can, even though you can't. So you got to bully me, so I buy into the system, so I'm like, oh my gosh, I'll do whatever you want, you're a lion. But what if you're a lion that can't eat me? Now you're just a kitty cat. <laughs> and 
And so what we need to do is keep our head in the game to realize if he could truly destroy you, he would have done it a long time ago. The only reason he's roaring is he's trying to convince you of something that's not true. Be careful of that one. He said, guys, when you get attacked like this and bad stuff blows up and your life is all a shambles, stop freaking. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. God must not like me. The enemy is all over me. You know, here's the funny thing. I've heard in my life so many things where people are like, oh, devil's all over me. And I'm like, you're that important? <laughs> like the devil can't be anywhere at multiple times. He can only be in one place at one time. And he chose Fair Oaks. <laughs> seems very strange to me, right? Uh, and you're like, well, I think, I think you got a demon problem. I'm not sure you have the devil himself attacking you. No, I'm a big deal. Okay. I'm sure he's not in the Middle East. See, when we freak out, oh, I'm the only one and it's everything. Hold on. We're all doing it. We're all going through it. You're okay. God has protected us many, many times. He knows how to get you home. We're all right. And he said this. He goes, all this frustration and all this suffering, it's always temporary. Think about it this way. There is no permanent harm to a Christian ever. The only thing for a Christian that is permanent is good. How do we know that? Because when we shift from this life into the next one, bad goes away and good continues on. For a Christian, the only eternal part of you or things that will happen to you are good. Bad is always temporary. Just keep that mindset. Yeah, but I need to get it now. I need to get it now. Hold on. He said, you're going to suffer for a little while but God will take care of it. And when God gets his hands on you, you know what he's going to do? And he just lists four things. Restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you. You know what those words mean in Greek? This is awesome. He said, when you feel shaken up by the Lord, sometimes you feel like everything's in chaos. You know what God's going to do? He's going to put you back in order. He knows how to do that. He knows where all the pieces went, right? You know what he's going to do? He's going to confirm you. That means you lose all of your support system. You feel like Satan won, and God goes, I know how to rebuild your support system from the ground up. Then what? Strengthen. When you feel weak, God goes, you know what? I got a bunch of energy and strength. I'm going to give it to you so you can walk the next mile. And then he said, you know what? Sometimes you feel like when the enemy's done with you, you feel exposed and raw and vulnerable. I know how to put your walls back up. I can make you secure again. This is the God we serve. Why does he do it? Because he loves you. He's not only all-powerful, he's all-loving. And that's a cool combination. Yeah? Let's finish out the book. Verse 12. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who's at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love, peace to all of you who are in Christ. Peter. Real quick, what's this whole Sylvanus thing? First of all, please don't name your child that. That is a horrible name, right? Like, do you know who this guy is? Because I think it's kind of a big deal, because here's what I think Peter is saying. We wrote this letter together. Okay, well, who's important enough to write a letter with Peter? Sylvanus. Wait, wait, hold on, who? Yeah, he's got another name. You know the shortened version of his name? Silas. 
You guys all know Paul and Silas, the whole let's sing in prison and their partnership. You guys all know that? That's this guy. He's the big dog. Right, like Paul and Barnabas split over John Mark. If you remember that, Paul's like, he's a wimp. And then, and then Barnabas is like, yeah, but he's sweet. And, and they decided to split. And Paul took on a new partner. Who was his new partner? This guy, Silas. They went and did missionary trips together. He's a huge deal. He and Peter are writing this together. And he said, he said, so I need you to trust that we know what we're talking about. And then he says, what? The woman from Babylon says, hi, who's that? The church in Rome. That's their way of talking about it. The church in Rome says, hi, and my son, Mark. Like, hold up, Peter has a son named Mark? No. Who's this? John Mark. He's the guy they split over. Remember, I was just talking about him. He too ended up becoming a huge deal. You're like, I thought he was connected with Paul. Well, he was, but they all were interconnected. He ended up becoming so connected with Peter that he was like his protege, so much so that Peter calls him my son. Wow, sounds like a big deal. Oh, it's a big deal. As a matter of fact, they were so close. Mark got to write a book of the Bible. You guys remember this? What is it? The Gospel of Mark. You're like, wow, how did he know all that? It's Peter. The Gospel of Mark is Peter's perspective of Jesus' life. He was his secretary. This is amazing stuff. This is a power team right here. And then he says this. I want you guys to greet each other with a, with a kiss. Okay, <clears throat> I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent here. Um, <clears throat> you guys know the five love languages. Yeah? You guys have all heard about this. This has been out like forever. Okay, and let's, let's see if we can remember the five love languages. I've blown it every service. Here we go. <clears throat> here we go. There's words of affirmation. There's quality time. There's acts of service. There's giving gifts. And there's physical touch. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah nailed it. <clears throat> Only took 13 times. Okay, how many of you are physical touch people? Raise your hand. Physical touch people. Yeah, these are my people. All right, cool, cool, cool. All right, you're all freaks. Now, here's the deal. <laughs> here's the deal. To all of you that are not, I'm going to explain how we view the world, all right, because it won't make any sense to you. Some of you guys get so creeped out when somebody is near you. You're like, don't touch me, don't touch me, don't touch me. I get it. We're the opposite, right? So I'm the huggy guy and a handshake guy and all that kind of stuff. Now, <clears throat> I remember the first time I went overseas and I went into these environments where there's a lot of kissy on the right cheek, kissy on the left cheek. I was like, these are my people, <laughs> right? I was like, ooh, look at all this little kissing and all that stuff. Like there was all this stuff. And here's why I, I do all that and why I like that because here's how I view the world. I view the world this way. There are very few people that can get into my personal space. You guys know what personal space is? Some of you don't, you're close talkers. So, <laughs> right? You're just like, whoa, hey, whoa, okay, well. Ah. Like I, if I could stretch my neck over here, I would, right? <clears throat> see, see, there's personal space. And my wife, my daughters, they're allowed to come into that space, their family, my mom. And when they come into that, that space, they're welcome there. I'm a touchy-feely person, I want them there. Nobody would ever come into my personal space if they didn't like me. Now, I need you to let that soak in for a moment because that's how I operate, is I say, I have a personal space. You would never, ever break that plane if you didn't care about me. Why would you do that? You know that's a violation. So the fact that you get that close to me or give me a hug means we're okay. 
It means you don't have an animosity towards me. You don't hate me. You don't, you don't want ill will from me. You would never get that close to me. You're allowing me to go into your personal space. Why would you do that if we're not peaceful? So when I get into these environments where there's a lot of people kissing and being near each other, I go, oh my gosh, this is a safe room. These people care about me. They wouldn't hurt me. Okay, the reason why the Bible highlights the greet with a kiss thing is because that's what family does. You're not supposed to be strangers. You're not supposed to be acquaintances. Church is supposed to be bigger than that. You're supposed to be brothers and sisters and friends. And friends get in each other's business and friends get in each other's space and they care for you when you're hurting, right? What do you see at a funeral? Family breaking that plane and loving on each other. What do you see from strangers less? All I'm telling you is that you guys were family and we've got to begin to act like it. We already have enough problems. Each other shouldn't be our problem, yeah? And he closes out, he says this, now to all of you who are truly Christians, may peace be with you. It's interesting, Paul ends his letters with, may you have grace. Why does Peter end with peace? Well, because this entire letter was talking about, I know your life has been really hard and there's so much persecution. You know what I know you crave is peace. You know what I'm gonna pray for you about from my Lord? Peace. Because it's what rattles you right now. This is the second week of Advent. What's the week? Peace. You guys, we've been through a lot, yeah? We've been through so much in our lives. Some of us are super nervous about the holidays. Because what you found out with your family was that you guys don't see eye to eye. And now you're like, gosh, dang it. I got to go hang out with those people. Like, dude, I'll do it for the food. But if there's not a present for me, I'm out. Right? Because you're worried about your family's going to say something or mouth off about some political thing or you're going to. And you just feel agitated all the time. What do you think I'm going to pray over you? Peace. I just want the weight that you've been carrying with that worry stuff, that you'd give it to Jesus and it would fall right off. That's what I want. So that's what we're gonna pray and then we're gonna get out of here, yeah? All right, let's do this. Heavenly Father, I praise you. Thank you for drawing your kids into your house to get a word of encouragement, a word of strengthening, a word of peace. Jesus, you are described as the Prince of Peace. And that means that, Lord, when you're around, everything's going to be all right. Doesn't mean it's going to go easy. It certainly doesn't mean it's going to go our way. But it's going to go right. So, Lord, I just pray in that confident moment where we all have the same perspective and we have a high level of faith, we see you somewhat as you are, we worship you for who you are in a moment where your word is alive and clear in our spirits, we declare right now peace from Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would release the peace of God over each and every person that is present, listening to my voice, watching online, right here in the room, that there would be chips and rocks and weights falling off shoulders all across this place. 
that God, that we would be able to, to lift our heads up high, that we would be, remember that we can be confidently humble as we walk out of here, that, that we are indeed jars of clay, but we're filled with the, the glorious Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that whatever struggles that we're facing, we would see you, Jesus, and walk on water. That whatever is difficult, whatever is hard, Lord, we can bounce back from it. We were built for this. God, don't allow the enemy to bully us. Don't allow him to tell us that we need to be something that we're not. We know who we are. We are children of God. And so right now, Lord, I just pray that all that weight falls off in the name of Jesus and that we would walk out of here light as air, smiles on our faces, and hope in our spirits. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.